Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes financial therapist Ed Combs to the show for part one of their conversation on how a person's attachment history can impact their financial decisions. Part two will be released on December 7th. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you again here from Chaddock. So today I am going to be interviewing a person named Ed Combs. I find his work so interesting in that he is looking at how our attachment history impacts our financial well-being and financial decisions. So basically attachment and money. Uh, His book is called The Healthy Love and Money Way, How the Four Attachment Styles Impact Your Financial Well-Being. And I have to say, this is something I had never really thought very much about. So I'm going to share some information about his background before he hops on to join us for the podcast interview. Again, Ed Combs, he helps couples and clinicians untangle the mess of money and relationships using the art and science of attachment theory and interpersonal neurobiology. He loves applying attachment theory and interpersonal neurobiology to the way that couples relate to each other around money. Moving couples from money mayhem to financial intimacy. He has earned his MBA in finance, an MA in counseling, an MS in financial planning. He's also a certified financial planner and a certified financial therapist, which gives him a broad and dynamic and comprehensive view of the ways that couples encounter money over their time together. I have to throw in there again, prior to hearing about Ed's work, I had not heard of the term financial therapy. So that was something else new to me. He's a thought leader and co-developer of the professional practice of financial therapy which trains both mental health and financial planning professionals on the intersection of counseling, psychology, and money. His new book, which I shared earlier, I'll share again, The Healthy Love and Money Way, How the Four Attachment Styles Impact Your Financial Well-Being, shares a roadmap to help couples and clinicians see, heal, and grow through their attachment relationship and money. He also has another book that's going to be coming out. So I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion. I very much enjoyed his book and am looking forward to sharing this interview about Ed and his work. So stay tuned. He will be coming right up. Well, hi, Ed. Thank you for joining us for the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Thanks, Karen. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to be here. I really enjoyed listening to some of the past podcasts and some of your guests. And I'm like, wow, how did I get here? This is such a great opportunity. 
Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so I was sharing in before you got on a little bit about your background, and I want to go more into that in the interview because it's kind of fascinating the different things that you have done. Um, so I want to want to talk about that more. But one thing I had some like true confessions, which was I've not even ever heard of financial therapy. I was like, what? So this has really been a learning opportunity for me. And I'm excited that you've chosen to write about this topic. So could you share with our listeners a little bit of your informal bio? I shared with them all your degrees and things, but how do you go from firefighter to financial planner to therapist? How does that happen? You know, I think some mornings I still wake up and I ask myself, how did I end up in this life? Uh, you know, the informal bio, you know, it was like, despite all these letters out from my name, I was your average high school student. My favorite subjects were lunch and PE. Yes. Uh, you know, that's, uh, it's quite a transition to have multiple graduate degrees and all that. But it's really been, I think for a lot of us as therapists, it becomes a journey of necessity at some point, right? You're, there's something that's, you just, this thorn between your toes, you can't get out and you're trying to figure it out. And somehow you find your way to the world of therapy. And yes. it's kind of, for me, at least, it's when all else things failed. Yeah. Um, right. I, I thought that I would save the world by being a firefighter. Well, that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So then I thought maybe being a financial planner, you know, like if I just know how money works, then I can really help people. Yes. Well, it turns out just knowing how to do a portfolio allocation or investments and taxes doesn't save the world. Oh, tragedy. Yes. And, and then, you know, I was like, this bright idea, a friend's going back to school to be a counselor and like, oh, what did they do? That sounds interesting. I research it. I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. I think I'll try that. And, yes. And it's really opened my world to like, so much more and you know kind of the, the crazy thing now is I realize, well like most therapists there was family environment issues that were kind of preparing me for this job like oh my mom worked for a very famous analyst in san francisco back in the 70s and named me after him oh wow so you know if you're into the psychodynamic type of thing that really uh fits well uh, yes so, yeah, that's a little bit of the informal background. Yes. Well, I'm sure other pieces of your history will come up as we continue to talk about the book, because one of the things that I felt was so brave and compelling about the book is how much of your own story you shared. And I just want to say how much I appreciated that vulnerability. I was especially from the former financial planner therapist, really, that was an unexpected surprise. I guess I was coming into it with some preconceived ideas that you would be a very um, cerebral therapist, not, not, you know, not sharing so much of your own story. And you really do. And so thank you for doing that. That's like a really brave thing to put into print and put out there to the world. So First and foremost, I want to thank you for how you shared yourself in this. I appreciate that. And it, it's been quite a journey to get to that place where I can even recognize my own vulnerability and then articulate it. And then kind of articulate to the bigger world because I know now 
so many of us are trapped in the secrecy of our financial story and those things that we've done that we regret or have remorse or shame around. And so in this way, I want to model and lead and say, we can really connect with our money stories and the painful parts and come out the other side of it. So we feel so much more functional around our finances and not having to dance around and avoid things so that we don't feel that discomfort around you know, the money mistakes that we've made. Yes. Yes. And let's start talking about how you found this overlay of attachment classifications. I mean, cause this is, act- I mean, this isn't just like a book about how money impacts relationships in this book, hence being on the attachment theory in action podcast, you're looking very specifically about different attachment styles and tell us about how that first clicked in your mind that those two were interrelated oh that's like such a big question oh you're gonna love this answer your listeners are gonna love this because i go from being firefighter to financial planner mba guy to grad school at a seminary which you know right is where you can study theology and psychology because well it's not enough to study psychology yes Uh, I like to tell people simply, I had questions about people and God. So the seminary right. was a really natural fit there. Right, um, right. But, you know, I had, I think the closest thing to a psychology course before that point was organizational behavior, you know, for mm-hmm. my MBA. Yes. It's kind of psychology-y, but not right. like what a lot of folks know in the therapy world. So I'm in advanced developmental psych, you know, and I'm, professor's going on and introducing all these different ideas about how humans grow and my brain's just kind of blowing up. And then she shows the video of Harry Harlow doing his rhesus monkey study, which probably most of the listeners know. Yes. And I'm watching this and fortunately it stayed a private conversation internal, but I was like, what the hell does this have to do with anything? And how, how is this going to help me with people and money? Yes. Right. So I kind of like, you're sort of like, what? primates what in the world <laughs> right what do, what do i have to do with a primate like that's ridiculous this is craziness so you know fast forward a few more years i want to be a couples therapist and you know sue johnson stuff obviously comes front and center through the training other call classmates are going and i'm like you know, the business guy and kind of antagonistic is like, she's just created some flim flam program. She's making a bunch of money off of this. I know how this works. Right. I mean, right. I have no idea. Right. I'm beat red. So your listeners know right now, but you know, I, so I was kind of really didn't want to see the attachment angle at all. Like it just did not, I didn't intellectually want to entertain it. I didn't emotionally want to entertain it. I just, you know, and then as life unfolds, I was in my therapy practice and getting going. And I really love Bowenian because it's far more cognitive and, you know, like not nearly as touchy and feely. And that right. just worked well for me. But, you know, as life would turn out, my life unraveled more and more. And I had enough exposure, I guess, finally to the attachment stuff. And one thing led to another. And it's like, there's really something to this whole attachment thing. Mm-hmm. Oh man, if this is true, what does this mean for me? Mm-hmm. And slowly, you know, the, the crack opened wider and wider. And um, I ended up going and starting a PhD to research people and money and try to put together all these ideas. 
And so you have to kind of commit to a theory to research from. And I was like, okay, let's try attachment theory. And, you know, so I spent a number of years in the PhD program starting to read attachment theory and really trying to understand it and then trying to apply it to the couples I was working with, apply it to myself. And it's like the light bulbs finally went off and I accepted, yes, evolution is true. Part of the primate system, the attachment system just makes so much sense about why I experience relationships the way I do and why the clients I'm working with experience the relationships that they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah. yeah. Well, I just think a lot of our listeners, if they're at all where I'm at or, or uh, think like I do, even though I've been very immersed in attachment theory, I somehow would keep that aspect of a relationship like separate, like that's some other thing. And I think one of the the things that your book just was really opening my eyes to, I mean, we need money for survival and we need it for protection and we need it for a lot of things that activate the attachment system. So it, it was just really an aha experience. I think it might be helpful for listeners if, you know, you, uh, there's different language for these classifications, but you talk about secure, anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. And I think it could be helpful for listeners for you to to just kind of share. Most listeners are going to know the basic understanding of those from, from developmental psychology, but how money fits in, like, I'm wondering if people are thinking, what are they even talking about? So maybe giving some quick examples of, you know, how a secure person relates to money or um, secure in their patterning versus someone anxious or avoidant or whatever. I mean, whatever you want to say, however you want to start to string that together for people. And I think what's really interesting here, as I've been listening to people talk to me about the book, they, they pick up on a couple of things and they sometimes infer that I'm talking about their attachment directly to money and having one of those four patterns. Uh-huh. And right, classic attachment theory is about the interpersonal and intrapsychic relationship. Yes. But I do, and I don't go into this book, but I do think that the, that four-part framework could really be an interesting way to look at the way we relate to money. Right. But we'll, let's hold that aside for just a moment and let's yeah. just with, with what we already know, right? Yes. A securely attached person is going to enter a money conversation like this. Hey, Karen, um, you know, I know we've been talking about our budget and we've been trying to stay on budget, but I just, I really needed to go out to lunch today. I was just feeling alone in my office and, um, I, you know, I hope you're okay with me, you know, right? Like the secure person can come and just own that. Yes. All right. So now the anxious person, um, hey, Karen, I, uh, um, I'm really nervous. Like I was just really alone in my office. I'm, are you, is it okay? Like if I spent money, I know we, right. It's kind of that, like, I want to approach and tell you that I just spent money on going to lunch, but we've been talking about budgeting and I'm not supposed to spend as much money on lunch. Yes. And there's that anxiety of approaching and being honest about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. The avoidance going to say, Hey, how was your day? Oh, nothing. <laughs> you know, 
you, like you, you would have to be drawing me out about how even my day happened. Right. Like you would ask me if they, yeah, I did. I spent 1250 on lunch today. What does it matter? Right. It's the big deal, right? That's kind of that right. avoided dismissing, not really concerned about how you might feel about it. Right. I'm going to say intellectual matter of fact about the fact that I just spent 1250 on lunch and rationalize it. Yes. And the person with a disorganized, I mean, well, who knows? Yes. Um, they yes. might uh, like really start like, okay, all right, now, honey, it's it's going to be okay. I promise it's going to be okay. I, I but I did spend money. Oh, wait, I wasn't supposed to tell you that, right? That confused, disorganized, like mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. really knowing how to read, how to connect with you on the fact that I've just spent this money that we agreed that I wouldn't spend money on. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's one of the, the biggest dynamics that couples really struggle around is just the management of cash flow and having some shared agreement around how what gets spent on which things. Yes. Yeah. And if you have a secure attachment, you're prone to feel more trusting and safe. And with that expectation, your partner's going to understand you and respond to you in an appropriate way. Right. But if you have the anxious attachment, you already have that lower view of yourself, probably a higher appraisal of the other person, that concern about disappointing them. And so it's going to lead you to maybe not be forthright about it or be really anxious that there's going to be rejection coming. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, as you're talking about this and giving the example of a lunch situation, There are also examples that you share in the book where the stakes can be really high. And, you know, maybe with taking out one example you share is taking out loans without telling your partner and how that related to a fear of failure in one's business. And I've got to get this figured out. I mean, so here's where we start to see this represents much bigger things. Um, Even if we would think about compulsive spending and um, what, what underlies that it's kind of like, I think that, you know, we always talk about look beneath the behavior. And Mm -hmm. I feel like until I read your book and started thinking about this, well, except about finances, my mind, (laughs) (laughs) I I thought about it with workaholism and some of the really obvious things that come up. Um, But it's just, yeah, I'm I'm still kind of processing all of it myself. Um, But I I did want to bring out that it, it can be much higher stakes than the lunch bill. It gets much higher, much quicker, right? And most American adults and most first world adults are responsible for creating their own future financial security. Yes, right? yes. And that requires a tremendous amount of planning and organization between two people. And somewhat the ability of both people to assume that they're going to have that future relationship together. Right, which and even we- that could be something that brings up a lot of insecurity and fear. It makes it very hard to make long-term financial commitments to another person if you can't anticipate that you have a long-term financial, a long-term future with them. If you're constantly, for example, thinking you're going to be abandoned by that person, that is not going to be a very easy conversation 
to then say, let's plan our 401k contributions for this year, next year, and yes. on the road yes. and look at how much wealth we've accumulated and make sure that we're on track to have the right level of 401k balance at retirement. Yes. Yes. Well, you also, you go through, and I think um, this may be another way to help people start thinking about this. You go through some different examples in the book, actually on page 108 and 109 here, um, about these you know, hallmark things related to finances, like taxes and insurance and educational planning and estate planning, and how those relate to your attachment history. Your so. Again, those are just when I'm thinking of someone's attachment history, I wouldn't have thought about how that could impact insurance. Okay. I mean, you make the case for it and I'm with you. But could you talk about, I mean, some of those major things that financial planners look at and how you have found this overlay with attachment history and relational history? Yeah. So let, let me back up and teach for just a moment about the field of financial planning because yes. I think. A lot of therapists don't really know what financial planning really is or means. That's a very good point. Right? And that's okay. You, why would you know what that is? Most people don't have a chance to really learn. So there's the Certified Financial Planning Board, which has been in existence for, uh, let's call it about 80 years. And they have really tried to map out what does it mean to help people plan their financial life. And have, there's extensive academic research about what it takes to help people organize their financial life and to move from cradle to grave, right? So just like there's developmental psychologists, there's loads of people in the finance world that have studied how people move through their financial life. And they've broken it into these different domains of study, right? So much like we know as therapists, there's different domains of study to become a comprehensive therapist. Yes. So we, the most obvious thing is, of course, cash flow or saving, you know, income and expenses, right? That's most of us touch that every day and know that. But the way that we structure that, anticipate that, forecast that can get a more complicated. Yeah. So that, that's one whole domain that a financial planner studies extensively and how that works for family. The second domain is about investing, right? And so it's learning about how, the different stocks and bonds work, the different types of retirement accounts work so that they can understand and help people interpret what their investments are, what they should be able to do, what we can reasonably expect them to do or not do, right? And there's loads of research about how the investment stock market work mm -hmm. that help planners be able to make reasonable es estimates about what's going to happen there. Then we have insurance, right? And we have major categories like life insurance, health insurance, disability insurance, house insurance. And how do those pieces all help protect the, the first two pieces, your cash flow and your long-term savings or investments? Mm -hmm. Then we have taxes, right? When we all know, like at some level, we know taxes exist, which most of us are paying our taxes. But we can get really hung up on moving through them. Things can get more complicated if you're an entrepreneur and estimated taxes and all the tax rules and 
that's why we have CPAs, but the financial planners interact with that because the rules overlap. And then there's estate planning, which is the sixth area. And estate planning is about how do we transition your accumulated um, assets and things that you own to the next generation through the following the rules of the law. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, so we learn each of those domains independent of each other, but then we start to weave them together much in the way that as therapists, we learn cross-cultural studies, developmental psychologies, advanced psychopathology, clinical theories and applications, right? And mm-hmm. you kind of learn them independently, but then you have to start white, winding them together to yes. a coherent way of working with folks. Right. So in some ways that kind of can just blow people's mind. Like, you mean people actually study this at that level of depth? Yes, people do. And I am friends with many of the people that love doing that. But they don't get, they don't usually have anywhere in their educational path, a study of psychology and human functioning. Yes. They don't take classes in sociology or anthropology or psychology. So they're left with a very simple understanding of what it means to be a human based on their own lived experience and family. Mm -hmm. That's the change that we take as therapists is we like kind of say, okay, these are what we learned in our families or whatever. And now here's what this professional discipline shows us. Okay. So reel me in here. Where? Yeah. So actually what I'm thinking is I'm watching the, the time and I think that this might be a good stopping point for this first part of the interview because you kind of laid out those domains and what they mean. And when we get together to talk more about this, yeah, we can go in, which which I think was really helpful for those questions that I was asking you about, you know, well, how does my attachment history relate to estate planning? What in the world are you talking about? So, yeah. So I want to just thank you so much for this first part of our chat. It's really been great. I love it. Um Everybody listening, please join us next week for part two of our discussion with Ed Combs. His book is The Healthy Love and Money Way, How the Four Attachment Styles Impact Your Financial Well-Being. So join us next week. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. 